Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much to all of you who persevered, uh, who've embarked on this journey with me and, and persevered, especially through last week's episode. Um, if you missed last week's episode, you can hear me crying on the second half of the episode as I talk about the anointing of the sick and uh, think of my wonderful mom who passed away a year and a half ago. Um, thanks so much to all of you who reached out to me, who, who called and texted and emailed and you know, via social media and YouTube, uh, sent messages, uh, just thanking me for not editing out the second half and, um, for offering your heart and your, your prayers and, and kind words. So thank you so much. Um, I especially loved one friend and listeners text. She, she wrote, um, I, I think you're not texting during Lent. Um, so maybe you'll get this later or maybe have Dan read it to you. <laughs> so thank you again to everyone who reached out and um, for, for being with me every step of the way, such that you know that I gave up texting for Lent. So God bless you. Um, I think it was, it, so it was surprising. They say that grief, you know, kind of sneaks up on you in, at surprising moments and in surprising ways. Um, but I think last week's episode struck especially close to home because my mom did receive the anointing of the sick a number of times throughout her illness. So she was diagnosed with pancreas cancer the prognosis of which is, is pretty quick. I think the, the typical prognosis is about three to six months. She, God bless her, is such a fighter and was such a strong, is such a strong woman, um, that she lived two years after her diagnosis. And so she received the anointing of the sick a number of times. And, <clears throat> you know, so many of us were, were praying for her, doing novenas, offering up sacrifices, and, and really thought um, that she might be healed. Um, and I think part of it was she she was such a good woman, um, and she did so much for so many people, including bringing hundreds of people to Medjugorje, a number of whom went to Medjugorje with cancer and were then healed um, and are still, still living. Um, so it seemed like, rationally, it seemed like, oh my gosh, why wouldn't you heal Gina? She's she's the best and she's brought so many people to Jesus and um, brought the healing of Jesus to so many people. But as we talked about last week, um, suffering and illness and death um, are are quite mysterious. And I don't mean mysterious in the way that my students used to say, like, ah, theology teachers just say, like, it's a mystery when they don't feel like explaining something or, or don't know the answer. Um, it's mysterious in the sense that um, it's it's a profound reality that upon which we can continue to reflect and and think about and, and pray on. And one of the things I think about with my mom is that, um, you know, so many of us were expecting that she would be healed. Um, I think it's really made me reflect on how um, we, we don't earn healing or love or salvation. Um, God doesn't just heal the good ones, um, but as the scriptures say, the sun shines on, the rain falls on, the just and the unjust. And so it feels, you know, like unfair that that my mom would die when when she had brought so many to the Lord. Um, but part of that mystery of, of suffering is that it seems that um, some of those who are closest to the Lord, so many of the saints, um, suffered more intensely than than the rest of us. Um, there's this this kind of kitschy anecdote told about Saint Teresa of Avila, where she, in doing this great work for the Lord, she was 
going and coming, coming and going. And on one particular journey, she was riding a horse, had just like had a day. And um, at some point, the the horse reared up and knocked her off its back and she landed in this big puddle of mud. And the story goes uh, that St. Teresa looked up at looked up at God in heaven or looked up to heaven, kind of shaking her fists and saying, like, God, after all that I've done for you and I'm doing for you, why this? And apparently the voice of the Lord from heaven said, Teresa, I reserve these sufferings uh, for my friends, for my my nearest and dearest. And apparently St. Teresa of Avila, who was a real, real uh, spitfire, said, well, no wonder you don't have very many friends, Lord, if this is the way you treat them. <laughs> So it's that that's uh, part of the mystery in that um, it seems like the people who shouldn't suffer often do, and even more so um, than the rest of us. And so I, you know, pray for the the repose of the soul of my mom. We think she, we hope she's in heaven, um, but if she's not, we pray for the repose of her soul. One of my girlfriends said, "Man, if Gina Pine is not in heaven, like there's no hope for the rest of us." Um, so yeah, I continue to. To look to her life, um, it was so inspiring, so instructive, and uh, just such a blessing. And and I think, too, about how, you know, life is a gift in the sense that existence uh, is a joy. It's it's much better to exist than not to exist. And it's a gift in the sense that we, we don't do anything to merit it. So I did not do anything to get myself born. <clears throat> and my mom... Um, was just such a gift. I just see her as such a gift. I'm so blessed to have had her as my mom. Um, you know, I hit the the parent jackpot and, um, you know, God, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't merit a great mom. Um, and I don't merit like a certain amount of time with her. And so I'm so grateful, so grateful that I got to have her as my mom and, and have the time with her that I did. And so um, I know that so many of you, all of us, just suffer in different ways. And so please know that um, when I say at the end of each episode, you know, please pray for me. I'm praying for you. I, I pray for you every day. Um, I started teaching in 2006. And with my first class of students, which were, it was, I actually taught English literature, um, but it was a Catholic school and we would pray together at the beginning of each class. I started praying in my personal prayer time, um, Lord, I pray for all of my students, past present and future, especially those who are struggling most today. And I think, I mean, I've probably, you know, not prayed a certain number of days since then, but just about every day since my first day of teaching in 2006, I have prayed for all of my students past, present, and future, especially those struggling most today. So know that I'm praying for you, um, whether you've listened to every episode or one minute of one episode, um, I consider you my, my student walking through this, this uh, instruction on the catechism with me. And so know that I truly am praying for you every day and praying for uh, you, especially in the midst of your sufferings, um, you know, whatever those might be. And so I thank you for praying for me. So um, we'll, we'll end our, our discussion of anointing of the sick there, and we'll talk a little bit about our, our last two sacraments covered in the catechism are the sacraments at the service of communion, which are holy orders and holy matrimony. And first, I just want to point out a couple lines about priests acting in persona Christi Capitis, um, or in the person of Christ the head. And then I want to look at this line uh, that talks about how we can be sanctified through our service to others. So first, um, 
we'll look at paragraphs 1548 and then skip down to 1550. 1548 says, In the ecclesial service of the ordained minister, it is Christ himself who is present to his church as head of his body, shepherd of his flock, high priest of the redemptive sacrifice, teacher of truth. This is what the church means by saying that the priest, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, acts in persona Christi Capitis. It is the same priest, Christ Jesus, whose sacred person, his minister, truly represents. And then we skip down a little bit. Christ is the source of all priesthood. The priest of the old law was a figure of Christ, and the priest of the new law acts in the person of Christ. So every time we go to a sacrament, uh, we go to the sacrament of confession, we receive the Eucharist through um, the priest's hands that consecrate the, the precious body and precious blood. Um, we're baptized by a priest where typically receive confirmation through a bishop, but some in some parishes it's the bishop gives gives that um, power to the the local priest. When we uh, participate in those sacraments, it's Christ who is ministering to us in and through those sacraments. And so no matter the disposition of the priest, the personal character or holiness of the priest, we are guaranteed by Christ himself that we're receiving, we're encountering him in and through the sacraments and we're receiving the grace from him, um, whether it's a quote-unquote good priest or a quote-unquote not so good priest. Um, if you look within paragraph 1536, there's a little note that says, on the institution and mission of the apostolic ministry by Christ, see above, numbers 874 and following. So um, we already covered this in the in paragraphs 874 and following, um, that Christ instituted the sacraments, one of them being holy orders. So we believe he did that on Holy Thursday at the Last Supper when he washes the apostles, the first priests, the first bishop's feet and says, um, you know, basically go forth and serve as I have served you. So if you would like to read more about that and maybe have forgotten or didn't listen to those episodes, you could go back to paragraphs 874 and following that talk about the institution and mission of the apostolic ministry by Christ. So the institution of the priesthood and how the church has carried that on for two millennia. Looking down at paragraph 1550, uh, the catechism after talking about how Christ uh, excuse me, the priest acts in persona Christi, uh, so we're guaranteed meeting Christ and receiving his grace through the priest in the sacraments. It talks about um, how the the sin of the priest cannot get in the way of that. So um, if we have a priest who, you know, is, is committing personal, well, he is committing personal sins, we're all, we're all sinners, um, but if he is basically living a life that's not consistent with his vocation as a priest, we still receive the grace of the sacrament. So, so Christ guarantees that for us. Um, however, this paragraph talks about how um, th those sins or the way that he lives his life could prove harmful to um, the church. So paragraph 1550 says, this presence of Christ in the minister is not to be understood as if the latter so the priest were preserved from all human weaknesses, the spirit of domination, error, even sin. The power of the Holy Spirit does not guarantee all acts of ministers in the same way. While this guarantee extends to the sacraments so that even the minister's sin cannot impede the fruit of grace, in many other acts the minister leaves human traces that are not always signs of fidelity to the gospel and consequently can harm the apostolic fruitfulness of the church. So we've seen, sadly, throughout church history and most recently with the McCarrick scandal, that um, some 
priests and bishops, a lot of priests and bishops did some serious harm uh, to individuals' lives and to the church, to our world. Um, if I can't remember if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but if if that is something that you are reconciling as a Catholic, if that's something you're reconciling personally, if, um, God forbid, you were uh, abused by a priest or have loved ones who are abused by a priest, uh, Bishop Barron of the Word on Fire Ministry, whom I've mentioned a number of times, wrote this fabulous little book called The Letter to a Suffering Church, where he directs, uh, excuse me, addresses um, the McCarrick scandal specifically, and then he talks about um, he basically apologizes on behalf of the church and um, then talks through, uh, yeah, ba- basically talks through h- how we can as a church and, and as individuals heal from that. Uh, so I recommend that book. Um, if you just Google Word on Fire um, or Bishop Barron, Letter to a Suffering Church. Um, so, th- so that's one end of the spectrum where, where um, some really horrific things have been have been done to people by by priests and bishops on maybe a, a smaller scale or a more local level you might have uh, interacted with a priest who's just consistently selfish or lazy or rude and that has um, you know turned you off a little bit to the church or to your particular parish and so um, we'll pray at the end of the episode for all of our priests and all of our bishops all of our deacons, all those who receive uh, the sacrament of holy orders. We'll pray for the healing and reconciliation of the church and um, for our own healing and reconciliation if we've had a, a, a terrible encounter. Um, on a practical note, I advise you to, if you are in a parish where um, you know the priest is not, not particularly helpful, um, if you're in an area where you can go to another church or seek out another priest, then I encourage you to do that. I realize that in the Philadelphia area, I'm, I'm very super privileged in that I lived in Conshohocken, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And within walking distance of my apartment, there were three different Catholic churches. There was um, the Irish church, the Italian church, and the Polish church. Um, And I realized that that's not the case all around the world. Um, So if um, you're in a parish or, you know, interact with a priest who maybe is is not helping your relationship with Christ, um, seek out a new parish, a new priest, or pray for an opportunity, um, an opportunity to, God willing, be served by a different priest. And then the last paragraph I want to point out is paragraph 1534. This is actually just two paragraphs in from our reading selection on the second half of the episode, where it talks generally about the sacraments at the service of communion, so both holy orders and matrimony. And it says this, Two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, are directed towards the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. So I'll read that again. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. I've read the catechism a number of times, but when I reread that line ahead of this episode, I thought, ooh, this is a good point of reflection for me as a married woman. I think, um, I don't know if it's consciously, subconsciously, I often think, like, think of myself a lot in marriage, my, my marriage to Dan. I think of marriage kind of egocentrically, like, oh, this is, you know, I'll use like theological terms, but like, oh, what a grace, uh, what a gift, the sacrament of marriage, you know, we're being brought to heaven um, through our marriage. I am, I am just being made so patient and I am just being humbled 
and, um, you know, just made into a better, better woman. <laughs> I imagine Jesus reading this line. I just had this moment where I imagine Jesus being like, hey, not about you, Becca. This is about Dan. <laughs> so again, that line says that, that we, um, so it is through, blah, 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 go back, Becca, the salvation of others. So they're ordered, directed toward the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. So the point of my marriage for me is to help Dan get to heaven. If I am then brought to heaven as a result, if I am purified, sanctified, and saved as a result, we'll praise God for that. And that's going to happen only as a result of me putting Dan first. It made me think of that um, great description of humility, which is uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> so as a married woman, I'm not called to kind of put myself down rung by rung, um, but just not to really think about myself and to think on Dan and how um, I can help him be the best man he's, he's created to be, help him draw closer to Christ, help him to live the abundant life. And if in doing so, uh, I am sanctified, well, thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, but it shouldn't be about me thinking about my, my sanctification necessarily along the way. And so it's the same for priests. I think we are, are really blessed um, to have a lot of, I'm thinking of priests in the, the public space, um, really dynamic priests who act in persona Christi, so in virtue of their, their sacrament of holy orders, they bring um, Christ to our individual lives, and um, through the sacraments, you know, Christ gives us his grace. But then uh, so many that are in, who are in the public sphere are, are very gifted um, as far as like in, in a human way. So I think of, you know, Father Mike Schmitz um, doing the Bible in a year and the catechism in a year. Um, I think of my brother, Father Gregory Maria Pine, who is a Dominican priest for the the province of the Eastern province of St. Joseph. He too has a, a podcast called Godsplaining. He often appears on Matt Frad's Pints with Aquinas um, podcast. And then he, he, my sister says like he, he is such a hustler. He is just, he just rocks and rolls as far as like administering sacraments and giving retreats. Well, he's currently living and studying in Switzerland and, you know, periodically when we chat, it's like, oh, like, just gave a retreat and, um, you know, said mass, heard confession, and then, like, names three other things. And then, you know, I'm just going for, like, a seven-mile hike in the Alps. <laughs> like, go, Greg. Um, I think of uh, a friend, a uh, priest of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, Father Chris Walsh, um, uh, another priest whom I've mentioned before. He is just such a gifted, good man and does so much for so many people that I told him the other day, I said, Father Chris, if we, you know, when we die and God willing go to heaven, I think we're going to look back and see that you're actually bilocating. Like that's how much, that's how you did so many things. <laughs> there were actually two of you operating at the same time, um, or you were operating in two different places at the same time. So, um, so we're, we're blessed to have so many priests serving the church in such an awesome an efficacious way. These men in serving the church are being sanctified themselves, uh, not because they're especially tech savvy or reach, you know, millions, maybe billions of people, but because they are serving others. So in, in and through their priesthood, they are serving the church. And as a result, um, they, please God, are being sanctified and saved. 
Um, and it's not just the the public priests or the, you know, especially public Catholic figures, but it's also the faithful priest who quietly, you know, says mass each day and hears confession and and uh, lives out his holy orders faithfully. So I think of Father Solanus Casey. Um, he was he was a Franciscan. I'm not sure of what specifically of what order of Franciscans or what particular branch of Franciscans, but he was beloved by a number of people at Steubenville. And I think I think there's a group who. Um, you know, proposed his his cause for canonization, but he spent most of his life answering the door. Um, but he would do it with such patience, such kindness, um, such consistency that his his charity and sanctity um, just really blessed all those who came to the door of his his friary and affected conversions and healing and and sanctification in others. So in serving others in this, this small way, being the, the doorman, uh, Father Solanus too, I imagine, uh, was, was sanctified as a result of his service. So let's end the first half of the episode by, by praying for these priests I just mentioned, praying for our parish priests, if we have any family members and friends who are priests, and just for all priests. Uh, growing up, my mom and dad would say that priests have a target on their back. Um, the devil's looking to take down anyone who, who brings people to the Lord, and, and priests especially do that. So let's pray for the protection and guidance, the sanctification and salvation of our priests, and um, pray for the grace to love and serve them as they love and serve us. Um, we pray that, that Jesus will help them live out their holy orders well. So we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we lift up to you all priests. We thank you for the gift of holy orders, for allowing us to receive your sacraments, and to meet you in and through the sacraments, and to receive your grace through them. We pray for the protection and guidance of these priests, and we pray for the church. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we're praying that Hail Mary together, I think of a professor I had in college, Dr. Mark Miravalli, who loves, loves, loves the Blessed Mother. And um, if you ever called, one time I called his office um, when I had him as a professor to ask about something, and... Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> something about a paper or a test. And uh, I got his voicemail and he said, you know, hi, you reached the voicemail of Dr. Mark Miravalli. I can't answer the phone, but please, you know, leave your message and I'll return it shortly. And before we hang up, we'll now pray Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. He then prays the, the Hail Mary on his voicemail. So if you want to leave a message, you have to pray with him. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Just such a great, great idea. Um, so we'll take a brief break and then return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 1533 through 1553. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 1533 through 1553 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Chapter 3, The Sacraments at the Service of Communion. Baptism, Confirmation, and Eucharist are sacraments of Christian initiation. They ground the common vocation of all Christ's disciples, a vocation to holiness and to the mission of evangelizing the world. 
They confer the graces needed for the life according to the Spirit during this life as pilgrims on the march towards the homeland. Two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony, are directed towards the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. They confer a particular mission in the church and serve to build up the people of God. Through these sacraments, those already consecrated by baptism and confirmation for the common priesthood of all the faithful can receive particular consecrations. Those who receive the sacrament of holy orders are consecrated in Christ's name to feed the church by the word and grace of God. On their part, Christian spouses are fortified and, as it were, consecrated for the duties and dignity of their state by a special sacrament. Article 6, the Sacrament of Holy Orders. Holy Orders is the sacrament through which the mission entrusted by Christ to his apostles continues to be exercised in the church until the end of time. Thus, it is the sacrament of apostolic ministry. It includes three degrees, episcopate, presbyterate, and diaconate. On the institution and mission of the apostolic ministry by Christ, see above, number 874 and following. Here only the sacramental means by which this ministry is handed on will be treated. Why is the sacrament called orders? The word order in Roman antiquity designated an established civil body, especially a governing body. Ordinatio means incorporation into an ordo. In the church, there are established bodies which tradition, not without a basis in sacred scripture, has since ancient times called taxis or ordines. And so the liturgy speaks of the order episcoporum, the order presbyterorum, the ordo diaconorum. Other groups also receive this name of ordo, catechumens, virgins, spouses, widows. Integration into one of these bodies in the church was accomplished by a rite called ordinatio, a religious and liturgical act which was a consecration, a blessing, or a sacrament. Today, the word ordination is reserved for the sacramental act which integrates a man into the order of bishops, presbyters, or deacons, and goes beyond a simple election, designation, delegation, or institution by the community. For it confers a gift of the Holy Spirit that permits the exercise of a sacred power, sacra potestas, which can come only from Christ himself through his church. Ordination is also called consecratio, for it is a setting apart and an investiture by Christ himself for his church. The laying on of hands by the bishop with the consecratory prayer constitutes the visible sign of this ordination. The Sacrament of Holy Orders and the Economy of Salvation. The Priesthood of the Old Covenant. The chosen people was constituted by God as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But within the people of Israel, God chose one of the twelve tribes, that of Levi, and set it apart for liturgical service. God himself is its inheritance. A special rite consecrated the beginnings of the priesthood of the Old Covenant. The priests are appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Instituted to proclaim the word of God and to restore communion with God by sacrifices and prayer, this priesthood nevertheless remains powerless to bring about salvation, needing to repeat its sacrifices ceaselessly and being unable to achieve a definitive sanctification, which only the sacrifice of Christ would accomplish. The liturgy of the church, however, sees in the priesthood of Aaron and the service of the Levites, as in the institution of the 70 elders, a prefiguring of the ordained ministry of the new covenant. Thus, in the Latin rite, the church prays in the consecratory preface of the ordination of bishops. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by your gracious word you have established the plan of your church. From the beginning you chose the descendants of Abraham to be your holy nation. You established rulers and priests, 
and did not leave your sanctuary without ministers to serve you. At the ordination of priests, the church prays, Lord, Holy Father, when you had appointed high priests to rule your people, you chose other men next to them in rank and dignity to be with them and to help them in their task. You extended the spirit of Moses to 70 wise men. You shared among the sons of Aaron the fullness of their father's power. In the consecratory prayer for ordination of deacons, the church confesses, Almighty God, you make the church, Christ's body, grow to its full stature as a new and greater temple. You enrich it with every kind of grace and perfect it with a diversity of members to serve the whole body in a wonderful pattern of unity. You established a threefold ministry of worship and service for the glory of your name. As ministers of your tabernacle, you chose the sons of Levi and gave them your blessing as their everlasting inheritance. The One Priesthood of Christ Everything that the priesthood of the Old Covenant prefigured finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and men. The Christian tradition considers Melchizedek, priest of the God Most High, priest of God Most High, as a prefiguration of the priesthood of Christ, the unique high priest after the order of Melchizedek, holy, blameless, unstained. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, that is, by the unique sacrifice of the cross. The redemptive sacrifice of Christ is unique, accomplished once for all, yet it is made present in the Eucharistic sacrifice of the Church. The same is true of the one priesthood of Christ. It is made present through the ministerial priesthood without diminishing the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood. Only Christ is the true priest, the others being only his ministers. Two participations in the one priesthood of Christ. Christ, high priest and unique mediator, has made of the church a kingdom, priest for his God and Father. The whole community of believers is, as such, priestly. The faithful exercise their baptismal priesthood through their participation, each according to his own vocation, in Christ's mission as priest, prophet, and king. Through the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, the faithful are consecrated to be a holy priesthood. The ministerial or hierarchical priesthood of bishops and priests and the common priesthood of all the faithful participate, each in its own proper way, in the one priesthood of Christ. While being ordered one to another, they differ essentially. In what sense? While the common priesthood of the faithful is exercised by the unfolding of baptismal grace, a life of faith, hope, and charity, a life according to the Spirit, the ministerial priesthood is at the service of the common priesthood. It is directed at the unfolding of the baptismal grace of all Christians. The ministerial priesthood is a means by which Christ unceasingly builds up and leads his church. For this reason, it is transmitted by its own sacrament, the sacrament of holy orders. In the person of Christ the head. In the ecclesial service of the ordained minister, it is Christ himself who is present to his church as head of his body, shepherd of his flock, high priest of the redemptive sacrifice, teacher of truth. This is what the church means by saying that the priest, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, acts in persona Christi Capitis. It is the same priest, Christ Jesus, whose sacred person his minister truly represents. Now the minister, by reason of the sacerdotal consecration which he has received, is truly made like to the high priest and possesses the authority to act in the power and place of the person of Christ himself. Christ is the source of all priesthood. The priest of the old law was a figure of Christ, and the priest of the new law acts in the person of Christ. Through the ordained ministry, especially that of bishops and priests, the presence of Christ as head of the church is made visible in the midst of the community of believers. In the beautiful expression of St. Ignatius of Antioch, the bishop is typos tu patros. He is like the living image of God the Father. 
This presence of Christ in the minister is not to be understood as if the latter were preserved from all human weaknesses, the spirit of domination, error, even sin. The power of the Holy Spirit does not guarantee all acts of ministers in the same way. While this guarantee extends to the sacraments so that even the minister's sin cannot impede the fruit of grace, in many other acts the minister leaves human traces that are not always signs of fidelity to the gospel and consequently can harm the apostolic fruitfulness of the church. This priesthood is ministerial. That office, which the Lord committed to the pastors of his people, is in the strict sense of the term a service. It is entirely related to Christ and to men. It depends entirely on Christ and on his unique priesthood. It has been instituted for the good of men and the communion of the church. The sacrament of holy orders communicates a sacred power, which is none other than that of Christ. The exercise of this authority must therefore be measured against the model of Christ, who by love made himself the least and the servant of all. The Lord said clearly that concern for his flock was proof of love for him. In the name of the whole church. The ministerial priesthood has the task not only of representing Christ, head of the church, before the assembly of the faithful, but also of acting in the name of the whole church when presenting to God the prayer of the church, and above all, when offering the Eucharistic sacrifice. In the name of the whole church does not mean that priests are the delegates of the community. The prayer and offering of the church are inseparable from the prayer and offering of Christ, her head. It is always the case that Christ worships in and through his church. The whole church, the body of Christ, prays and offers herself through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, to God the Father. The whole body, caput et membra, prays and offers itself, and therefore those who in the body are especially his ministers are called ministers not only of Christ, but also of the church. It is because the ministerial priesthood represents Christ that it can represent the church. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Please pray for me. I will be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.